everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it is our desire and mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new sermon series, My Shepherd. In this study, we are going through the familiar passage of Psalm 23 and rediscovering David's declaration, The Lord is my shepherd. This statement relays a total dependency on Jesus as our shepherd, guide, and Lord over our lives. We're focusing on the truth that God is a personal God and He wants to be your shepherd. And as a result of His ownership, we can follow Him boldly and rest confidently in His care. And this morning, we are bringing our study verse by verse, uh, line by line of this passage to a close. And as we uh, come into our final message together, I just sort of want to remind us um, about the fact that we are studying the shepherd. We are the sheep. This is David, King David writing, and he's writing as the sheep, and he's speaking about the shepherd. Of course, we know in the New Testament, Jesus is our great shepherd. He is our good shepherd. And he's referred to so many different times throughout uh, the New Testament as that, and this whole picture of the shepherd and the sheep is really what David is trying to get across to us. But one of the things that we've understood right from the very beginning of our study is that David said with all assurance, he said that the Lord is my shepherd. If you remember that right in verse number one, and we'll read that together here in just a moment, but he says that the Lord is my shepherd. It's the idea that Jesus is a personal friend of ours. He is a personal, he is someone that we can have a personal relationship with. And so he's claiming him as his own. And I hope that for you today, you can also say the same thing. You can say that Jesus is, in fact, your shepherd. But that's sort of the baseline of it. And as his sheep, as someone who knows the Lord personally as our Savior, who has a relationship with God, as the Bible describes for us, what it means is that there are so many blessings and benefits of his love and his care and his provision for us. And that's really what our study has been all about. It's been about understanding and seeing the blessings, uh, his love and his care and his provision for us. The fact that uh, our shepherd is always looking out for us. The fact that he is always uh, restoring us when we stray away that he's protecting us from danger, that he's working to prepare for our needs, maybe even before we know that we have them. And this psalm is truly one of the great passages in Scripture, not only because of the unique description that we see here of our relationship with God, and not only because of all the blessings that we understand we have from him, but because of one big word, and it's the word security. Because of the security that we see in this passage, the description of our shepherd's loving care for us, and the security that he gives to those who know him as our shepherd. We live in a broken, fallen world, don't we? We live in a difficult place. We live in a world uh, that is just so struggling and broken in sin. We personally struggle with pride. I know you wouldn't admit that, but we do. We struggle with pride. We struggle with uh, anxiety. We uh, struggle with uh, just sin that we fall into. And yet what we understand from our study is that the shepherd is always there for us. Even in the middle of a struggle, he is there for comfort and to restore us. And for the true follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember that because we know that, because we understand that, it gives us peace, it gives us uh, contentment, and even if it feels like everyone else in your life has abandoned you, you know that he is there. And that is the major theme of this psalm. 
The idea that God is there for us, that he is walking with us, that he is a, a, a constant friend and, and, and comforter when you need him. And that's really what David is talking about here. He's speaking out of his personal experience about the protection and the care of the Savior. And it comes from many different stories of personal experience, which we've shared somewhat throughout the study. And and I'd encourage you, if you've missed uh, any of the sermons from this study, you can go back and they're all on YouTube or on our our podcast and you can check them out if you want to get caught up on that. But the major theme here is that God is there for us. But how does David wrap it up? How does he wrap it up? He's been talking so much about the goodness of our God and the greatness of our God. How does he bring it all together? Well, that's what we're going to see today as we come to our final verse, where David concludes with some more words of comfort, but also he speaks about the security that's found in our relationship with the shepherd. So to begin, I want to read where we've been so far, and then we'll read verse number six this morning. So let's begin. I'll read in verse number one. We'll read the entirety of the psalm together. He says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over. Why don't you join me in reading verse number six this morning? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first thing that I want you to notice here in verse number six is we see the commitment of the shepherd. We see the commitment of the shepherd here in Psalm 23, verse six. You know, as David looked back on all of the events of his life, He could not help but recognize and see the faithfulness of that shepherd that had walked along with him. And because of the faithfulness of the shepherd, because of uh, all that God had done for him, David's heart, I believe, is filled with uh, just a sense of the constant care and assurance and hope for the future. Notice there in the verse, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That first word there is very important, the word surely. What David is saying here is that uh, he is not expressing a probability but he's expressing to us a certainty. He's saying it is a certain, it is a for sure thing. You can take it to the bank. God's mercy and his goodness will follow you throughout the days of your life. And I love that because what it tells us and what David is trying to express to us is that he could face life boldly. He could face life with confidence that the continued goodness and the continued mercy of God would follow after him all of the days of his life. And notice that he does not just say goodness alone. He doesn't just say, hey, if you're, if you're one of uh, the sheep, if you're one of the followers of, of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have all this good stuff come along. Of course, he doesn't just say that alone, because when you think about it, we need more than just that goodness. We need forgiveness, don't we? We need that mercy. And so those two that come together uh, are so important. We need the goodness to supply our needs, and uh, God does so many great things for us, of course, in our life, but we also need mercy to forgive us of our sin. We need the goodness to provide and mercy to pardon Now, goodness, if you think about it, is the blessings of God that we do not deserve. The blessings of God that we do not deserve. Think of all of the things that God has given to you. It's good to to have some thankfulness. (laughs) Think of all the blessings that God has given to you in your life. Now, you may say, hey, pastor, I'm going through a really rough time right now, and all I can think about is that rough time. You know what? Even in the middle of difficulty, we can still reflect on the goodness of God. 
and how he's provided for us and how he's there for us. Think of all of the good things that are in your life, your health, your family, uh, friends maybe, the fact that you have a place that you can come and gather publicly to hear uh, the word of God. Even from an individual standpoint, we have an open door to the throne room of heaven in prayer. And so we have all of these good things. That's the goodness of God. And, and if you would look hard enough, I think you would find some good things. And then on the other side of it, we have the mercy. So goodness is the blessings of God that we don't deserve. Mercy is the withholding of what we do deserve. Now, Scripture is very clear to us that we as sinners, as rebels, as those that have turned our back on our Creator, we are, in, we are deserving of the judgment and the wrath of God. Because of our sin, because of our open rebellion against God, we deserve and we should receive nothing but death, and as Scripture tells us, eternal punishment and separation from God. But the beautiful thing about Scripture and what I love so much about the Bible and about our God is that though we deserve that, He has extended to us freely His mercy, He has extended to us freely forgiveness of our sins, and He has provided a way of salvation through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. I mean, that is why the cross is the symbol of Christianity, is because it represents what God did for us. It represents love. Though it is an instrument of torture, it represents God's love to mankind. That though we deserve to be an eternal punishment, God gave us his son so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him, so that we could go to heaven and receive forgiveness. And mercy, then to us, is he is withholding what we truly deserve. We deserve eternal punishment. But because of his mercy, he did not put that upon us. He gave us an opportunity to turn to him in salvation. And you and I need God's mercy, yes, at the moment of our salvation, but we also need the mercy of God throughout our life. Because you know what? Even though you might be saved today, and even though you might have the Holy Spirit of God within you, we still sin, don't, don't we? We still struggle. We still stray. Uh, we still uh, fight against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, as Grace uh, said at the very beginning of the service. And sometimes, if you're really reflective, in my own life, I'm confronted with the fact that if God dealt with me how I deserve to be dealt with, I'd already be in eternity somewhere. But because of his mercy, he has allowed and given me an opportunity, and his mercy is what we need all the days of our life. And so God's goodness and God's mercy are evidence of his grace in our life. And notice how David described those two things in the relationship that we have with them. Notice he said that they will follow us, they will follow me, he says it's personal, they will follow me all the days of my life. Now the word there, follow me, it means to pursue. It means to run after. It means to chase. It means to hunt down. So what is David saying? He's telling us something about our God, which is so important that we know as believers, and it is this. God is relentlessly pursuing after you. God is relentlessly coming after you. He is, he, he will, he will, if you want to put it this way, he will track you down. <laughs> he will pursue you if you are his child. You know, think of the story in Luke chapter 15 of, of, the, of the shepherd and the hundred sheep, you know, and one of them got away. He had 99 sheep. He could have said, oh, well, it's a pretty good day. I'm at 99%, you know, profit margin. I'll just stick with this one. No, the story says that he left the 99. I'm assuming he found someone to care for him. And he went out and he went to find the one because he cared for it because it was his sheep. It was his and here's the thing, God, if you are a child of God today, God is pursuing after you. His goodness and his mercy is always going after you, even if you run away and stray away and fall away. 
So many of you here this morning, I know, are thankful that God's mercy continued after you, that God's goodness pursued after you, even though you were far away from him. And I I hope that in your mind you're saying, praise God for that, because many of you were far, far, far away from God. And when you were ready and when you turned back to him, he was welcoming you with open arms. But even as you knew that you were far away from him, you could always sense God working in your life. And we're so thankful for that. That is the reality of what this verse is saying here, that he pursues us and he comes after us. He will come to give us his mercy and his goodness. I was trying to think of, a, of an example of this to help us maybe understand this a little bit more clearly. And I had to think about my grandma. You don't know her. She's really cool. She's 90, still drives, lives on her own, scares all of us. The other day she FaceTimed my mom while driving. Yeah, <laughs> that's dangerous. And she's holding the phone and she's driving and, ah, you know, talk. anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's great. So my, my grandma, she's, she's fantastic. I love, her. I love her so much. But here's the thing about her is she cares about all of her grandkids and now great-grandkids. I think there's like over 30 of us. And one of the things that's so amazing about my grandma is that no matter where I've lived in life, and I've lived, I've lived in Florida, I've lived in California, I've lived in Texas, obviously I've lived in Vancouver before I went to those places, now I live in Vancouver now, I've moved three times in the city since I've lived here. Here's the amazing thing about my grandma is that no matter where I am in this world, on my birthday, I get a card from her and it has $10 in it that says happy birthday. That's pretty awesome, right? 10 American dollars, which is like, you know, a lot more, right? She... Here's the thing. She's tracked me down. Whether I'm in a dorm room in Florida or or, uh, on on a campus in California or living in Texas in an apartment somewhere, no matter where it is, she always tracks me down. I don't don't tell her where I'm at. She just finds out somehow and she tracks me down. And and I love that about her. And why does she do that? Because she wants to know, she wants us to know that we, her grandkids and great-grandkids, she wants us to know that we are loved, that we're loved. And uh, even now, all of our boys, you know, every time it's their birthday, there's a card from grandma in there. There's, maybe there's a check for $10 in there, you know, but there's, there's something in there for them. And she's trying to show us that she loves us. And the point I want to get across is, is she, she has to do the work to do that. I mean, it's a lot. I can't I barely keep up with my own kids. And she keeps up with all 30 grandkids and great grandkids. And every single one of us gets something so that we know that she loves us because she wants to be good to us. She wants to bless us. She wants to know that we're loved. Now, that's, that's just a small picture right there of the goodness and the mercy of God. Because as long as we are close to the shepherd, and even when we stray from the shepherd, he's telling us here that his goodness and his mercy is upon us. That means even in the valleys, even in the trials, even in the tribulations of life, he is there. When the enemy surrounds us, he is there. When life is good, when things are abundant, when it seems like uh, your plans are falling into place and it seems like God's will is just pushing you and you're headed in this direction and you can see God's hand in everything, he is there as well. He knows you will struggle. But what we need to remember is that his mercy and his goodness are not connected to how good you are, but to how gracious he is. And so in every circumstance of life, his goodness and his mercy is connected because of his goodness, because of his mercy, because of who he is, not because of us. And so we must remember that he is always there for us. His goodness and mercy will pursue us. And this is the intent here of David. He wants us to understand that it is in the character of God to pour out goodness and to pour out mercy. And whenever we see a characteristic of God... One of the things that should click in our minds as believers is that, okay, if this is who God is, as a believer, I'm commanded to be Christ-like. I'm to pursue. I'm never going to achieve that. 
but I should be Christ-like in my living. So how does this characteristic of God flow into our lives today? I think it's very simple. We should show goodness and mercy to others as well. As much as we have received mercy, as much as we have received goodness from God, we should be willing to share that with others. I've mentioned Philip Keller in his book uh, on this passage. He said this, he said, the only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and mercy of God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. And I thought that was so great. The way that we apply this passage, yes, we are thankful and we praise God for his goodness and mercy, but the application of how much we appreciate it is in how we share that then with other people. And so that's why he says here, the extent which I am able to show goodness and mercy to others. See, since we are the recipients, we must be showing mercy and offering goodness to others as well. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of politicians. <laughs> okay, that, 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 that resonated, right? Here's why I'm tired of politicians. I mean, they're needed and they serve a purpose and all that, okay? I'm tired of politicians telling me what our country or what our city needs and then promising me that they're the ones who are actually going to do it. The first ones in history, right? Like, I'm the only politician ever in the history of our country to do what I say, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm tired of, okay? Because <laughs> it happens all the time. Anytime there's any sort of election, one of my neighbors is running uh, for a, a city, a city a group, and, and he's always coming by. We're having good chats about it. And he's always like, I'm going to do this. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, I've been told that before. But I'm tired of that in the sense that they always think that they're the ones who know. Right? Our party platform, this is definitely what our city needs. I mean, how long have they been telling us in our city that they have the solution to so many of the problems that plague our city? Oh yeah, we're going to do it. If you just vote us in, we're going to do this. And they tell us this all of the time, and I get rather weary of it, because as Christians, I recognize that the answer, truly, truly the answer to what our city needs and to what our communities need is for people to simply live out these biblical principles of mercy and goodness to one another. I mean, think about that. What is the source of all of our issues? It's, it's attacks, it's anger, it's malice towards one another. We've, co- we've covered those in other messages. But if we would just be people that lived out the goodness and mercy of God and how he's expressed it to us freely without expectation of return and we treated one another in that way, that truly would fix a lot of the problems within our society. People, we need to be people who have a mindset to uplift, to encourage, to bless those that God has brought across our path. Even within the church body, we know that we are to do good, especially to those that are within the household of faith. And so within the church body, we should be people who are warm and affectionate and welcoming to each other. We need to be doing what we can to lift each other up. And there's so many different needs and challenges even within our own church body. And this is the place where those needs should be met. This church should be a picture of what our city should look like. (laughs) a place of of growth, of encouragement, where we are willing to use the ways that God has blessed us to bless one another, that we're doing what we can to spread the truth of the gospel in our community. And we need to receive receive and give encouragement. I was thinking about how Paul reminded the Ephesian church leaders in Ephesians, sorry, in Acts chapter number 20, he told us to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, where he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think sometimes when we come to church, we're of the mindset, I'm here to receive something today, right? And we get to church and we sit down, we're like, man, Pastor Paul had better bring a humdinger today or I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go home depressed, right? (laughs) He better keep me awake. 
or, or it's on him, right? And we come and, man, Christian better be, I mean, his voice had better not crack. There better not be any mess ups with the music. It better just be perfect because I'm here to receive a blessing from the Lord, right? And that's kind of our mindset, right? And, and sometimes we even sit there and you sit there in the chair and you're like, all right, make me happy, right? You know, fix my problems. And there's an element of encouragement that happens coming to church, of course. I mean, man, I'm so encouraged by the music and the worship and the time and the word and all that, of course. But the church is also a place where we give blessings to one another, where we encourage one another, where we lift each other up. And that's really what the design is, is that uh, here that we receive the mercy and blessing of God and we give it out to other people. See, the heart of God and his commitment to us, remember, it's all about his commitment. He says, surely, for sure, my uh, blessing and my, my goodness and my mercy will follow you. And so that same commitment should be for us as well. The story of your life should be just as confidently as you can say the Lord's mercy and his goodness are following after me. That should be the testimony that others have about you. When I say, hey, tell me about Hanson. And not just his girlfriend tell me about Hanson, but tell me about Hanson. I'm, wait, I'm just I'm kidding. Everybody's all on your own. Wait, what, what, what am I supposed to say? The testimony that we should have within our church would be, man, he's such a, a, a gracious guy and a kind guy. I'm, these are truthful things, by the way, okay? Man, he's a, he's a good guy. I like Hanson. He came and helped at the church this week, which was awesome. Thank you. But that should be our testimony in the community. When people, when your neighbors, hey, tell me about, you know, tell me about the house, you know, this house. What are they like in there? And they're just, they're really kind people. They're always trying to encourage us. They're, 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 they're just gracious people. And that should be the testimony. As much as we can say that about our God, it should be said about us as well. Remember, the commitment of our shepherd is for our good, and we praise him for that, but it should motivate us to do the same to others. And so first here we see the commitment of the shepherd but lastly, as he concludes the psalm, David gives a commitment of, of his own, which I'm calling this morning the commitment of the sheep. We're going to stay within that narrative there. There's the commitment of the shepherd, and then there's the commitment of the sheep. Look with me again at verse number six. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I know this for sure. And then he says this, and I will, this is an affirmative statement that he is making, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David begins his psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and he concludes it by stating, I don't want to be anywhere else but under the protective care of the shepherd. That's essentially what he's saying here. If we're going to put it simply, he's saying that when we consider the extent and the impact of Psalm 23 and all of the things that God does for us, all of the shepherd, uh, how he cares for us, he's saying, why would I want to be anywhere else, is what he's saying. Why would I want to be anywhere else? He says, I want to dwell, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when we see that term there, house of the Lord, it brings up a couple of different thoughts to our minds. And I want to just be clear about this here. Either we can consider him speaking about the tabernacle uh, that Israel had, which of course was the representation of the presence of God. And God didn't dwell in the temple there for a time. Now, David always wanted to be in the tabernacle. He was just, it, it, so many times throughout his writings, we see him saying, like, I want to dwell in the, I want to be there. I want to I be around the presence of God. And that's such a picture of us of wanting to, not so much about the physical aspect of gathering together as a church family, which is important, but the idea that I want to be around the presence of God. Of course, we know David wanted to build the temple in Jerusalem, didn't he? That was something he even prepared all of the materials. He got everything in place, and God chose for his son to be the one who built the temple there, Solomon. But David always wanted to be around in the house of the Lord. He wanted to be the, this, in this representative representation of where God dwelled. And so that certainly could be uh, what he is talking about here. But also, since he says here that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, of course, that could speak to 
Uh, the idea of heaven, of course, and the security that we have as believers in our salvation. See, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. God wants you to know for sure that heaven is your home. I was talking with somebody recently, and we were talking about salvation, and they're like, I just don't know. I'm not sure. I think I know. And I said, listen, God wants you to know. We believe in something called the security of the believer. And that means that when once saved, always saved. And that means that when you accept Christ as your Savior, if it's a genuine conversion moment, then you are secure in that because it is God who does the saving. It is not you. It is God who does it, not you. And when you trust in your own salvation and you trust in your own good works and you trust in, I'm just a good person, therefore, why would God turn me away from heaven? Then you're trusting in yourself to save you. And Jesus says that your righteousness is as filthy rags is what scripture says. And what he's saying is don't trust in yourself. You need to trust in the one who can save you. And so when we trust in Christ, it is he who does the saving. It is Christ and it's Christ alone. And so that gives us confidence. And he wants us to know that. He doesn't want you to go through life wondering, I hope I get to heaven one day. I read a story about uh, an evangelist who got a, a meeting with the Pope and he asked the Pope, do you know for sure that you will go to heaven when you die? And the Pope said to him, this is what he said. He said, I know that when I die, there will be two billion Catholics praying for my soul. How sad is that? How sad is that? That he could not even definitively say that Christ is mine and I am his and heaven is my home. That tells you a lot about the whole religion, doesn't it? But as true Bible believers, we know that we are saved and God wants us to know that we are saved. And so I would say to you today, if you are sitting out there and you're like, I don't, I don't know that actually. Pastor, I don't know that I can say that heaven is my home. I want to tell you, God wants you to know that for sure. And I would love to help you understand and know that from scripture. Amen. I mean, that's the best decision you could ever make with your life. And so he says here, I want you to know, and so David could be talking about the security of heaven. Sounds a lot like John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking about heaven, and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That sounds a lot of what David is talking about there, dwelling in the house of the Lord, and he could be speaking about heaven, and it makes sense. Especially if David is writing this in the later days of his life, that it would be about heaven. But there's something interesting in this passage, and it has to do with the word house, and how the word house has a bit of a broader meaning to it. What he's speaking about here, and this word in its, in its original language is what it means, is that it speaks of a household. It speaks of the members of a family. It speaks about the closeness of God. So what I believe David is saying is, yes, while there could be application in those other areas, he could be speaking about the tabernacle, could be speaking about heaven that is to come. He also could be speaking about how we as God's sheep, how we who have accepted Christ as our savior, how we are brought into the presence of our shepherd, how we become a part of the family of God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it tells us, what, it says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. This is, what he's saying is this is an amazing love, that we should be called the sons of God. See, we are born into the family of faith, the family of God in Jesus Christ. And wherever he leads us, that's where we should desire to be. 
If God leads us in green pastures, if he leads us in paths of righteousness, if he leads us uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, our, commit, our contentment sorry, our contentment rests in the fact that we are with him, that he is our father and that we will be with him forever. And the greatest aspect of our relationship with Christ is that we can day by day walk with him and actually experience and have the presence of God in our daily life. And David here is proclaiming to all of us that he's, there's no place that he'd rather be. There's no place that he'd rather be than the family and a part of the family of God. What a powerful testimony for us. I hope that for you this morning, you have that same attitude. That you're willing to uh, proclaim, not just to yourself, but you're willing to say it to others as well, that you're a follower of Christ and there's no other place I'd rather be. I am a Christian and there's no other place, there's no other way that I'd rather live my life. I think that too often as believers, we do not emit a sense of joy and contentment in our relationship with Jesus. I think too often we're concerned. Here's what's so interesting. We're sometimes more concerned about what somebody else might say. We're even concerned about what someone else might think (laughs) about us rather than expressing that Christ is our God. And I understand it's hard to speak up, isn't it? It's hard to be a Christian in this city. But it wasn't easy in Jerusalem following the death of Christ either. I mean, the prayer of the believers in Acts chapter 4 was of a singular focus where they said, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. These are people that were literally facing death. There was threatenings. There was murder. I mean, people were coming after these believers. It was an intentional persecution. And yet their prayer was, God, would you give us boldness to speak about our relationship with you? And here's what happened. They prayed for boldness and they received boldness. And as a result of that boldness, their prayer, uh, their boldness through prayer, many thousands received the gift of salvation. And the landscape of the world changed from that point going forward. So what was it that gave them boldness? What was it that caused those uh, early believers to even pray for that? Well, it's what David was talking about here. The present goodness and mercy of God. Their confidence in his presence in their life and of the fact that they will live and spend eternity with God. The confidence that we see here in David is not unique. I want you to know that today. It's not unique. The confidence that he is giving to us here in verse 6 is not something that only happens to mature believers or people that have been Christians for 25 years. I want you to understand that. This confidence that David has can be real and it can be vibrant and it can be an abiding aspect of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But it all goes back to, it all goes back to the question at the very beginning of this psalm. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? That's the the critical baseline for the whole psalm. Is he your shepherd? And so I ask you again, is the Lord your shepherd? He wants to be your shepherd, but you must open the door of your heart to him. Now, for those of us that are saved, you're saying, hey, pastor, I've been saved. I've, you know, man, Grace shared her testimony being saved. Uh, 1997, right? Wow. That was a long time ago. I remember the 90s. (laughs) 
But she was saved as a, as a young person and she looks back to that day and knows the date and says, that's the day I got saved. And many of you have that same testimony. For me, I know the day that I was saved. Long time ago, <laughs> long time ago. But you know what? I look back to that and I say, this is how I know. There was a moment. Scripture says, today's the day of salvation. I know the day, I, I know when I got saved, okay? And we are blessed to know the Lord is our shepherd, aren't we? So my question for us and my challenge as we close this study is let's have the heart of the, sh- of the sheep. <laughs> let's have the heart of David. Let's learn to stick close to our shepherd. Let's learn, don't wander. <laughs> don't fight with other sheep. <laughs> let's follow where he leads. Let's trust in his care. Let's trust in the security of eternity with him. See, he is our loving shepherd and he can be your shepherd today. And I'm so thankful. I I hope you're, you're thankful too. I hope that you've learned something about our God through this study. I'm so thankful that he is just, he is just there. <laughs> He's just there. It's been amazing to me to see how all throughout this study, God has been speaking to me very specifically about areas in my own life that I'm able to apply it to right in that moment. Just this past week, man, last week we talked about how God prepares a table before us and how God provides our needs before we need it. And this week I was confronted with some needs in my life. And you know what my first temptation was? (sighs) Why? Why? Why is this happening? And as Jeanette and I were, were praying, God convicted me. We were praying about it. We were praying together and God convicted me. And he says, I, I have a way. I have something prepared for you. And uh, I'm so thankful for how those thoughts just sort of keep coming back. And I, I hope this has been an impact in your life as well. But let's just simply remember this. We are his sheep. If you're his, if you can claim him as your shepherd, then you have nothing to fear. God is with you and he is walking beside you and you can trust him. You can trust him.